Our reading is from Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you, Sabra. As I read the text in the lectionary for this week, uh, and if you are not familiar with the lectionary, it is, uh, it's not a magical book, but a uh, book that uh, churches use as we go throughout the church year to um, read an Old Testament text, uh, a psalm, and a New Testament text. And as I was uh, just looking through them uh, for this week, I winced at all uh, at how all but one was perfect for a fire and brimstone preacher like myself, right? Uh, but it wasn't perfect for me. And it's not that I am against beating on the pulpit. Sometimes I would like to do that, just to maybe wake you up a little bit out there. Uh, I'm not against hollering, although I don't do a very good job of it. I can't keep a straight face. Uh, and, you know, stepping on feet with my preaching. I don't mind doing that either. But I just don't think that's how God wants to be represented. Some people do. I've had people tell me that uh, they couldn't go to, and I don't think it's happened here at this church, uh, although I wouldn't rule it out. Maybe at some point somebody would say, I just don't feel comfortable at your church. And I'll say, why? Is it, uh, is it Sunday school? Is it, uh, the, it's always the song selection, Bill. <laughs> We're not singing your favorite hymns, or what is it? Too, too often. I've had people tell me, well, you're ju- you just don't um, preach like I, I, I'm used to. Well, how is that? Well, I'm, I'm used to someone who is more firm and yells a little bit. And I'm always... Uh, enthused by that uh, and maybe even encouraged, but uh, that's just not me. And as I looked at the text this week, I thought these would be great for such a display of anger and hitting the pulpit. And I recall how Marcion uh, went through his scripture, went through the Bible, and uh, had, had a problem reconciling what he saw as the God represented in the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament, with Jesus in the New Testament. And so he determined that they were different gods. It couldn't be the same God because he saw this God of anger and wrath like we heard about in Jeremiah this morning. 
And then he saw the God of love and grace in the New Testament. And so what Marcion did was uh, take his Bible and cut and paste and, and really began to shift some things around so that he could keep those separate. And this really isn't too different than what Thomas Jefferson would do years later. In fact, I think you'll see a picture, maybe you've seen this in a museum, of the Jefferson Bible. And one thing you'll notice about Thomas Jefferson's Bible is that he has done a lot of cutting and pasting. And so what he did was go through and really, as more a devotional Bible, uh, uh, you know, not as much rebellion, but more out of devotion, he took what he believed to be what was really accurate uh, from the New Testament. He didn't believe in the miracles of Jesus and, and some other parts of the New Testament. So he just laid out what he believed uh, represented his views about Jesus. And so he had his own version based on cutting and pasting. So I, I want you to know that I didn't do any uh, scratching out in my Bible this past week, although I did read these texts and think, wow, these are so different. I didn't do that, and I didn't cut or paste, didn't get out my scissors. But what I did do is to thank God for Jesus, for his witness of what God is really like, for his storytelling abilities. By the way, we're having a storytelling event tonight. I don't expect anybody to be on the level of Jesus with their storytelling, but it's going to be great. Uh, all of these uh, that are going to be sharing tonight. So I hope you'll come for that. But I also thanked God for the brilliant light of his revelation in Jesus. The two stories that we've heard here this morning are a part of a, a, a triad of lost things. If you look there, Luke 15, it's just uh, one story after another where Jesus is wanting the people standing around him in the crowd to understand something in particular about God. And so the third of these stories is not here in our text. It's the one about the lost son. And we will be getting to that one in October. It's going to be actually a, a key part of our second storytelling session. And that's where we all get to participate as we find ourselves in the midst of that particular parable. But it's not in our, our readings for today. And that is the story of the prodigal son. But Jesus tells these stories in the context of being criticized. He is being criticized because he is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and other people that these religious leaders don't like and they don't think it's appropriate for Jesus to be spending time with them. And so they ridicule and they criticize Jesus for this. So really the stories are not as much about lost things as they are about one who pursues lost things. So in the first story, and if you still have your, your text open there, Luke chapter 15, you'll see in the first story, uh, for example, Jesus tells about a lost sheep. And I love the painting, uh, the uh, image that is here. There are several, if you just uh, look, if you Google lost sheep, you'll find all different representations of this particular story that Jesus tells. But in this one, you see the sheep going off the cliff. The sheep is in big trouble. 
Now, some of the images you look at, you'll see where there is a flock of sheep and then one off to the side, or you'll, you'll see kind of the whole picture of what's going on here. But I think this one is extremely descriptive. And you can see what is going on. You can uh, interpret the uh, dove off to the side, or maybe, uh, maybe that's a hawk, or uh, different ways of looking at what's going on there. But the shepherd is going after this sheep. And we usually identify ourselves with this sheep as we read this or hear this parable. And that's okay, because I think it's an accurate description for us. Because we are all like sheep, aren't we? And that's what Isaiah said. All of us, like sheep, we've all gone astray. And so we can identify with that, and and certainly we need to do so. But we may miss Jesus' central point if we overlook the shepherd. If we overlook what's going on here with the shepherd reaching out and pursuing the sheep. He does something unheard of. He leaves the 99 sheep who are with him to pursue the one who is no longer in the flock. Now, if you have 99 sheep, you're, you're probably thinking, okay, I've got enough, and that one that's gone astray just keeps going astray, and I'm tired of going and looking for that one. I need to watch out after these 99. That's what we would probably do. But this shepherd goes and pursues this particular sheep. And uh, we need to hear the message that is here from Jesus because Jesus is describing what God is like, that God is like the shepherd and that God passionately pursues lost people, people who have lost their way, who have become separated from the flock and maybe even people who have been excluded from the flock. That God is like the shepherd who had authentic concern for the well-being of one sheep. God being one who is faithful to his role as protector and his love for each individual sheep rather than just this general mass that exists in the world. If you look in your bulletin, there is a quote there that comes from Augustine about God loving us even as individuals, that if if we were the only one, God would still love us. God would still pursue us. These words had to be of great comfort to anyone that was there in the crowd who felt lost and excluded. And we all feel that way at times, don't we? Maybe this week you feel like that sheep that's just about to go off the edge. Maybe you know what it's like to go off the edge and you know how that feels. But these words must also have been a great challenge to the people who were there who viewed God as harsh, as punitive and exclusive. And there are plenty of people who still feel that way today. Jesus was not picking on the religious leaders He was dealing with them and dealing with their incorrect views. But he did so in a way that would bring them around to see a more accurate description of who God is. So that's the first story. But Jesus moved on to a second story. And this one not so much about a lost coin as the woman who goes on a search for the coin. If you look here 
uh, he just moves right into this and, and talks about she has ten coins in her headband, which the crowd would have understood to be her, her wedding dowry. How many of you had a wedding dowry? Jenny, really? Where is it? <laughs> Still looking for that. But she has ten coins in this, and these would have been of great monetary value. But they were also of great sentimental value. This is something that has been passed down through her family, uh, given by her father. This was a special thing. And so she loses one of those. I don't know if you've ever lost a diamond, maybe uh, a diamond in your ring. Uh, That has happened uh, to us before. And that panic sets in. Luckily, we found it. Uh, It wasn't a very big diamond. I bought it on a pastor's salary. I think it was a youth pastor's salary. And um, searched all over for it. Frantic. When I was in a seminar this past summer, one of the pastors uh, had the same thing happen to him. We heard this shriek uh, down the table and looked, and his face had gone white. And he held up a picture his wife had sent him of the ring and um, that she had lost it. Now, we gave him a hard time. We thought he was just trying to get out of class. But that, that sense of panic set in with him as well. And he wasn't there to be able to help look for it. Great sentimental value. But she notices that one of these coins is missing. It is lost. Imagine how distraught she was at this realization. Whatever she was doing, however important it was, was all of a sudden unimportant. What was now urgent was an all-out search for that coin. So she sweeps, she pulls up the furniture, and as you see in this particular image, uh, she is looking hard for this. She looks under pillows, she feels blindly through cracks in the wall and in the floor until she finds it. Once she finds it, she hoots and she hollers with ecstatic joy. She calls over her neighbors and has a party to celebrate what she has found. And you can just imagine they probably heard her screaming. And so they're wondering, what is going on next door? And she invites everybody over to have a party. Like with the first story, the people in the crowd, no doubt, could identify with what it means to be lost and found. But Jesus seems more concerned that they understand something different about God. God, interestingly here portrayed by Jesus as a woman, cares so much about lost people that God will leave nothing uncovered until each one is found, reattached, and then celebrated. Not to spoil what comes in the prodigal son story, but you see the same kind of thing happening, don't you? Being found and being lost, being found again and celebration that takes place as a result. I read a news article this past week that caught my attention with its unusual title, Evangelicals Ignore GOP by Embracing Syrian Refugees. I thought, wow, that can't be right. New York Times is always right. It told of how conservative Christians 
like some at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Georgia, how they are receiving and helping Syrian refugees. I just read a quote from Franklin Graham that he agreed with Trump's policy to ban Muslims from our country, saying, uh, this was Graham's quote, we're not just leaving them on the side of the road, but we also care for this country and the people of this nation. Mr. Graham said, we have to put America first. Wow. I thought, really? I have trouble thinking that Jesus would say that. We have to put Rome first. We have to put the empire first and then take care of people second. No, that just doesn't gel with what Jesus said. Discouraged by his comment, I was surprised and encouraged to see a Southern Baptist church and I would later read the Southern Baptist Convention working from an understanding of a God who seeks out and embraces people, no matter what nation or religion they are from. And this article quotes the pastor and uh, some of the people there as they are saying, look, I don't know about all that stuff. All I know is these people needed help, and we're here to help. I'm glad to know that their actions are shaped more by the words of Jesus than those of Mr. Trump or Franklin Graham. Jesus' stories are to change us in that they inform or correct our view of God. And yes, they change our view of ourselves as we can so easily identify with being a lost sheep or a lost coin. The Old Testament texts like Jeremiah that we heard today are quite adequate in reminding us that we are lost. I mean, the the Bible is full of those reminders, and they're true. We are lost. We are sinners, and God loves us even still. I don't think understanding this about ourselves is the bigger problem, right? You don't need me to remind you that you are a sinner. Our bigger problem is like the one Jesus continued to address with people. Their incomplete and incorrect view of God. Maybe the problem in our world today is that we don't love one another because we've missed the big point Jesus made with his parables with all of his stories and with his life, that God loves us and seeks after us with a passionate and relentless pursuit. Now, do you really believe that? This was the message, the light Jesus shined for the world to see. No wonder he got in so much trouble. Wouldn't it make a difference in our world if we all truly believe that God was this kind of God? Would we need a plan for mutually assured destruction? For chemical weapons? For boots on the ground? Would we really need that if we understood each other in the way that Jesus revealed God? Would we today be reflecting on the awful events of 9-11, remembering what took place 15 years ago when people reacted out of a very incorrect view 
of who God is. We have all kinds of problems in our world when people take a wrathful view of God. And we need to pay attention to that, whether it's within Christianity and and fundamentalism within Christianity or within Islam or within Buddhism or whatever religion you want to pick. When we, we begin to shape our view of God based on vengeance and based on anger and not love, we've missed it. And would we still feel inclined to draw lines about who is acceptable to God and who isn't? About who is in and then who is out? About what lost sheep merits an all-out pursuit and what sheep doesn't? Jesus just says the shepherd goes out and gets that lost sheep. That one lost sheep matters so much to God. He's not worried about the 99 who are just kind of doing what they're supposed to do as sheep, being sheepish. He goes after the one. I'm thinking the world could benefit when we spend time considering the celebration that God has at the end of a pursuit with the lost. Right? There is this embrace of that one sheep. Like, I don't care why you strayed off. I don't care uh, what, what you were thinking at the time. I know that, that you were distracted and you allowed yourself to be distracted and you keep doing stupid things as a sheep. But I'm so glad you're back in my arms. I'm so glad that I got this one coin back and Yes, I had nine other coins in my headband, but this one makes it complete. And it just didn't feel right until I got this one back. And God says to us, the world just isn't right until you are restored in the place that I've had for you. So it doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said, the foolish things that you do in your life. It doesn't matter. I want you back. Let's party. How we see God also has a lot to do with how we see ourselves. Think about it. Could your view of God be wrong? Maybe your view of God is inerrant. I've met some people. I've been one of those people who believe that. There's always more to figure out about God. Could your perception of how God responds to you keep you from seeing and experiencing the love that God has for you? Is it possible that the reason you may not love yourself at times is that your view of God is wrong? You may know that the first several steps of AA are, number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. That's where it begins, right? Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. 
the other nine steps and the success over addiction flow out of having a correct understanding of who God is. That God is God and you are not. That God is for you even when you are not. That God wants you to be found and restored. So I'm not sure what your Bible would look like if you were to approach it this morning with scissors and glue. This is why we don't pass out scissors and glue in the service. What I hope for you and for me is that after listening in on the stories of Jesus, the only cutting and pasting would be what we do within ourselves as we see God's light in Jesus. Let us pray.